Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Uh, If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. That's going to be the the primary passage. It's going to take us just a minute to get there, but it's kind of a continuation. I've tried to move on to something else, but uh, just couldn't couldn't do it. Uh, I don't mean that to sound mystical, but... uh, in Matthew chapter 16, I just think about, yeah, Exodus 33, you heard me right. Uh, but I was thinking about the, the seasons that we live in and the parallels of Moses' journey in the wilderness with, uh, with God's hardened people. And, uh, and I started thinking about, and it is this, listen, don't be rebuked by this. This is not the point. The point is not to be rebuked here, okay? Um, but I think about, I, I I have lots of conversations, like gospel conversations with people, spiritual conversations with people, and most of those involve questions and, and, and things like that, which I, I love. Uh, I mean, that's, 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 that's what I love to do. But uh, there seems to be an increasing number of conversations revolving around uh, dreams and visions and signs and wonders and prophecies and like the, the unknown and the, the unproven and the... Uh, you know, I just want to, I want to not really spend a lot of time on that, but I want us to know that we're not the first one. So I was thinking about Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. Pharisees and the Sadducees came uh, to test him, Jesus. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, when in his evening you say, it'll be fair weather for the sky's red. I mean, he's, he's saying, you know, I mean, just look at the, look at the sky. I mean, you, you already have signs. You already know one thing, how something's going to happen. These are regular, uh, systematic kind of processes of nature. In the morning, it'll be stormy today for the sky's red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to them except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and he departed. And a lot of times this passage of scripture specifically is really misused, I believe, to, to say that it's wrong to ask for signs or it's wrong to expect wonders or the miraculous or to ask God for, for clarity. And so, you know, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given. But if you look at the context of this passage, you see Matthew chapter 15, 29, 30, and 31. Jesus went up from there, walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He went up on the mountain and sat down there. Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put him at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd wondered. And when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing... And they glorified God in their wonder because of the signs and wonders that Jesus had done. Now, I want you to notice what's happening here. Jesus is performing miracles, and the crowd's heart begin to soften. And when their hearts get softened, they respond by glorifying God. Now, this is going to be really important in a little while. When hearts are soft, the response is the glory of God, to glorify God. But if you continue, verse 35, and directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took seven loaves and the fish and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to disciples and 
The disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. So Jesus has just healed the multitudes, and he's done great wonders, and he's fed thousands of people with a few fish and loaves of bread. And the news was spreading everywhere. Great crowds were witnesses to signs and wonders. But here's the important thing. No matter what they saw, no matter what they experienced or what they heard, it was never enough. The Pharisees continued asking for a sign from heaven. So no matter what Jesus did, it wouldn't be enough. Jesus had displayed his teaching, his heart, his work, his power. The signs and wonders are not the problem. It's the hardness of men's hearts that's the problem. This is why they were wicked. And this is why they were considered perverse by Jesus. In John 12, 37, it says, Though he had done many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. They always wanted, continued asking for another sign. In fact, they wanted to be guided by signs and wonders. They were ungrateful. Their hearts were hard. They've seen the heart of God. They'd seen the hands of Jesus. They had seen the work of the Holy Spirit, but it was never enough. It was always more, next, bigger, better, brighter, shinier, over and over and over. And so their hearts had become darkened because they refused to glorify God and to give thanks for what they had seen, what they had experienced. They were not humbled. They became entitled. They weren't selfless. They became selfish. They aren't teachable. They're proud. The problem is they don't know it. Their hearts were in a situation that they could not see. And the test of our heart is how closely we follow Jesus. Do they want more of Jesus or do they want more proof before they will believe? I think the, the proof of the hardness of their hearts is what they are doing with the Jesus that they've already been exposed to. How obedient are you with where you are? in your relationship to Jesus. Not one day I'm going to get out there, but where are you right now? And we always seem to be looking for a sign. We always think that if we just had more proof, if, we just had, if God would just show us, and we often think of this like a streaking, a, a handwriting in the sky, maybe then we would. Did you know every time someone asks for a sign in the scripture, they ask for another sign? There seems to always be this argument that breaks out within a person's self. It's like, okay, I, I just need, I need more. So um, I want to try to tell this quickly. Some of you have heard this before. This was many years ago. I was teaching through the book of Genesis on a Wednesday night, and, and I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and I was driving home one night, and I've been talking about how the heavens declare the glory of God and going through the, you know, the, the signs and the seasons and the uh, systematic way that God does the order that God allows things to operate in. And 
And I knew it. I knew it in my brain for sure. But I was on my way home and there was this shooting star streaked right across in front of my car. And I was just raptured in the thought of this happened actually a long time ago. God knew I was going to teach on this, knew I was going to be traveling home. And there goes that star. And it was just like he was saying, here's one now. And I was like, God, you did that for me. I know probably nobody else saw, saw that shooting star. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm probably the only one on the world that saw it. So I got home and I was, I really, I mean, it brought me to tears thinking about God considering me in that moment. And I got, I got up in my backyard, it was summer, and I got up in my backyard and I laid in the grass and I said, Lord, if that was really you, do it again. You, you, you laugh, but if you were up here, you'd tell your story. I want to I do, it, do it again, Lord. If you can do it once, how many times can he do it? Again? <laughs> and so he didn't do it. You know what it did to me? It made me question the first time he did it. So I just began to pray. And I said, Lord... I mean, it was a super starry night. Lord, you are so good. You gave it to me once. But you know what? The stars that I'm looking at that are not streaking across the sky is enough. I love how you just flung all of this into place. And then he showed up. I wasn't expecting him to show up this time, but he showed up. Now, I hope you understand I'm speaking figuratively, but I felt like he grabbed me by the shirt lovingly so lovingly and he kind of pulled me into his presence and you know what he said I didn't fling anything it was a rebuke it was a rebuke I felt it in in really in an incredible close intimacy with God I felt the I don't fling things thank you Lord I'm so grateful And then I started thinking about all the scripture that I'd ever read about God's order and him placing everything for us to see. But it's funny how one sign always wants to beget another sign. God uses signs and wonders at times, especially when he's revealing something special or something new to his people. But once something is revealed, it's on, it's on us to remember to, to remember the truths of that revelation and to walk in obedience to what God has given us, you know, to believe and to trust. It results in walking in obedience, not to signs and wonders, because if we, if we limit ourselves to signs and wonders, we may misinterpret. We may misunderstand. One thing we will never do is learn to trust his presence, to learn to trust his faithfulness, our faith will only grow as high as the next sign that we may or may not misunderstand. Why would we need signs? Why do we need wonders when we're walking with Jesus as our guide, with his promises, with his word, with his presence, when his provision? Okay, Exodus 33. It's where we find ourselves. A very similar situation that all of us can understand. Verse 12 Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. I need help. 
and I don't know the plan. And you tell me that I am your leader. You tell me that I am the one, but you've not given me all the details. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, this is God, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest And he said to them, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. There is so much here, I couldn't possibly unpack all of it, but I want to just take us through a a seam of thought. Moses, this great Old Testament leader of the Hebrews, is no different than anyone else who needs clarity, clarification, certainty, a guarantee, a sign of wonder. And he wants God to give him a sign too. Moses gets alone with God to seek direction, to seek God's will. Tell me something so that I may know something. He wants another sign. It's not that Moses hadn't been blessed with signs. Goodness, I know that we say, if I only had a little bit of what Moses had, I'd never ask for more. You think about standing, just standing and seeing a burning bush, and you walk up to examine it, and all of a sudden, God's voice starts coming out of it. Would you ever need more than that? Of course you would. (laughs) You'd need a stick that turns to a snake. And you'd see all of the plagues. And you'd see bread, manna falling from heaven every day. And you'd see the fire by day or that by night and the cloud by day. You would see all of these things. You'd see the Red Sea part and walk on dry ground. Lord, how can I know for sure though? How can I know for sure? I mean, I want to know for sure that you're going. Who's going with me? Moses asked God, guide me clearly along the way. Other translations say, teach me your ways or let me know your ways or show me your way. Moses is telling God, you're using me, but you are not including me in your thought processes. Does that sound familiar? Anybody ever wanted to pray that but knew better? You tell me that I have favor with you, but I don't know the plan. I want to know the plan. Anybody? You ever been in a situation? I just want to know the plan. No, what you really are saying is, I want to know your plan so I'll know if I want your plan or not. That's really what we're saying, right? This is why he doesn't give us his plan.
See, once I see it, Lord, once I see it, I'll obey. Well, see, God wants obedience from us because we trust in him, not because we can see it. God wants obedience because we trust his faithfulness, not because we're in agreement with his thoughts. The just shall live by faith, right? Over and over. The just shall live by faith. Not signs and wonders. Not exclusively, anyway. But even Moses found it more appetizing to have God just tell me every move to make. Just tell me what, what to do next. Make God's desires for us to live by faith so that we can grow, so that we can develop, so that we can learn to love, so that we can learn to trust. God, God wants us to make decisions that please him because we know him. We're getting to know him. But when God gives us signs and wonders and directs us only by signs and wonders, it clearly speaks every time that we ask. You're never going to de de depend upon him with a reliance. We grow selfish. We grow childish. We never learn to think and to process according to his holiness. And this is going to be very important. We never, we never learn to think for ourselves regarding what is God's Best, what is for God's greatest glory. And you'll never learn to trust him. I think about the difference between signs and wonders giving us guidance when God, what God is offering is to be our God. Big difference. I remember, I, I don't want to take a lot of time telling a lot of stories today, but I remember I was in, I was in Morocco, and, and by the way, worst, I mean, while I was there is great. But getting there and back, horrific. I won't tell all that story, but it's really, really hard for me not to. So just know I'm using self-control. But I landed in Morocco. I'm, I'm at least a day ahead of everybody else I've ever seen or know. Okay? So I'm landing in an Arab country. And, uh, and my, my Arabic is not great. Uh, it's, it's, in fact, it doesn't exist, Right? Uh, I'm, I'm landing in a, in a, it's not just another country. It's, it's literally a different culture. Everything about it is different. And when you land and guards have guns and, you know, you're, you're, you're navigating off the plane and you're looking and here's maps, but I don't understand one word on the map. And so what do I do? Well, I just follow everybody else. Surely they all know where they're going. So I do pretty good. I get down to the carousel and I'm looking, and there's one bag, two bags, three bags. I've got nobody to ask. I've got nobody to talk to. No bag for Blaine. I waited and waited and waited. And you know when you've waited long enough? When they turn the carousel off. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I have no idea what to do. Well, there's another guy there, and uh, he, he doesn't speak English. I don't speak whatever it is he ends up speaking. I don't know what it is, but he was with me, and he could tell I didn't have my bag, and he's showing me where I need to go to make my little application that I didn't get in my bag, right? I don't understand one thing that's going on right now, not one, and I'm nervous, and I'm panicky. By the way, I don't know who's picking me up from the airport, I just want somebody to say, here's what you do next. I had nothing. 
So imagine my relief when I finally, and it was kind of weird, but it, wouldn't, it wasn't as weird as the awkwardness, when he grabbed my hand and began to walk. Oh. Now, for all I know, we're going out back somewhere. <laughs> but, but it's a new direction for me. But you know what? It was one thing for me to have guidance but I didn't have any way, I didn't have any way of processing the guidance without a guide. I need somebody who can say, come with me, I've been that way before. I remember some of you have heard my submarine story when I just about took out all of Hawaii. <laughs> But I won't tell that today. But I am going to tell you that I've not always had claustrophobia. And claustrophobia is not funny. <laughs> it's terrifying. But I remember when I was, Donnie and I were teenagers. We were in the grew up together, same youth group. And uh, our, our, we, you know, for Kentucky, so we had lots of caves. And so we would go spelunking in caves. A lot of our youth group would go. And, and there was a guy, his name, his name is Blade. He's about that thin. I mean, Blade, you fill in. The, so uh, Blade is about 10 years older than us, and he used to go spelunking a lot. He was one of the sponsors of the youth group. So we get in these caves, and this cave's not for everybody. You know, there are some caves that's for everybody. It's like you can go in there and flip on a light switch, and there's lights all in them, and oh, here's how. Oh, those are, those are awesome. Uh, there are some other caves where you pretty much have to be Blade, to slither in. And he was like, if anybody wants to go on this one, right, here's the map we're going to take. Well, it's one thing to go in there with a map. How much more confidence is there to go in there with a guy like Blade who can say, I've been in this many times, follow me, right? It's a huge difference, huge difference. And yes, I have been in caves where I came out belly dirt, dirty and back dirty, just... <laughs> I don't know why in the world somebody would want to do that now. I wish I could turn that off, but anyway. So what Moses, in his naivety, is asking for is guidance. What God promises is to be the God. So much better than guidance. So much better than a sign or a wonder or even knowledge. God is offering himself Something better than a sign. Verse 14, he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. God promises his presence. God personally, providentially led Moses and the nation of Israel. God offered something so much better than guidance. I mean, sure, we would love a cloud by day and fire by night. But would we rather have God's presence? I'm not so sure. I think sometimes we would just like God's things. Not necessarily a relationship that requires anything of us. See, God, with guidance, I can have freedom. With guidance, I can explore. With a God, I have to follow. 
And life's a roller coaster when it comes to this. We want God telling us what to do, but ultimately we'll always stop growing in Him, seeking Him, and thinking like Him when we decide if we're going to obey or not. So occasionally, though, the Lord will go with us, but He doesn't tell us everything. We have to decide what choice we're going to make. We have to learn what brings Him glory. What happens when I do this versus what happens when I do that? What we do in those moments where God pulls back and only offers us His faithfulness, that's how you know what kind of faith you really have. That's how you learn how obedient you really are is when you're seeking His glory or just your direction. I hope you can see the difference between what am I supposed to do next, Lord, show me, and I'll decide, or, Lord, what's best for your glory? That I'm already committed to do. Are they always going to be certain of this promise? No. Here, this is a very, very important promise. I will go with you. Are there going to be times where Israel says, Lord, are you here? Yes, there will be many of those times. This is why you have to remember his promises. You have to remember. Sometimes they're going to question it. Sometimes they're going to veer. God is knowledgeable. Isaac and I went to Scotland for his senior trip. We got a lot of family history over there. Long before Scotland, the western part of the nation was, was called Dalriada. And our family ruled Dalriada, kings of, of olden times, right? So we, we had selected a lot of castles, family castles that we wanted to see. And we got over there. I'd already, I'd already pre-hired a guide, and when we would get, when we, he would pick us up every day and we would take day trips. And he, when he found out who we were, he was like, well, you guys are like, this is incredible what you are wanting to do in your family history. And so I would test him a little bit to see what he knew about even, even as much as John Knox and the Protestant Reformation, those sorts of things. And you know, I became pretty confident. He knew his history. So the, it was easy to follow him in the car. I'm listening. I'm asking questions. I'm learning so much about him. But when we would get to the places, I was stuck with pamphlets and he would go do his thing and we were stuck to learn it all on our own. I felt so much more confident with the God because I was interested in the God. The God knew what the answers to the questions that I had. Sometimes we only seek guidance, but God always provides something better himself. You see, I want a guide when I'm struggling. I want a guide when I'm desperate. I want a guide when I'm fearful. I want a guide when I don't know what's next. But when I'm confident, I only want guidance. I only want guidance when I'm confident. But when I'm confident, I'm focused on my ability. But when I'm not confident, I'm focused on someone else's. I think what we need to learn is that our confidence must always be placed in Jesus Christ. Never in ourself. Because with the freedom that guidance provides, we'll bring you the ability to believe lies. 
to, to, to run the wrong trails, to go in the wrong directions. But if you will follow Jesus, you will always be headed toward the glory of the Father. Signs are temporary, but a relationship's permanent. One of the most telling indicators of Moses' heart is in verse 11. The Lord spoke with Moses face to face. That word face to face doesn't necessarily mean like this. Face to face just means intimately, collectively, relationally, just as a man speaks with his friend. If you want to know God's will and you want to know God's direction, you can't know that without knowing him. You can't know God's will without being in relationship with him. But I, I have learned that if you will walk with the God, along with the guidance, you're going to see all the signs you're looking for. If you're stuck looking for signs, you won't know how to interpret them. But if you're walking with the God, he'll reveal all the signs along the way. Well, let's move on. Verse 14, God said, my presence will go with you. I love with you, not before you or in front of you or, or wherever. You know, I mean, yes, it is, it is there. He is our leader, but he's not blazing a trail. He's with us, regardless of our circumstance, regardless of our condition, regardless of our awareness. God is with us. Jesus promised peace, but not the peace that the world gives, but peace in the midst of trouble, peace in the midst of life, right? Peace regardless of circumstance because he gives us his presence. Listen, yes, Jesus gives us peace in the midst of difficulty, but his peace is because he is near. He is with us. That's where peace comes from, his presence. You may not have heard of Gladys Elward. She was a woman, she felt called to go to China, so she applied and was accepted by China Inland Mission, Hudson Taylor, and she couldn't learn the language, so she kind of got kicked out after three months, and she was determined, so she emptied out her savings account. She got a, got a trip, went all the way to China. She was over there for a while, back and forth. In 1938, communist Japan moved into China, and she had started an orphanage there, another co-worker was working with her, two women working up in the mountains, uh, and had over a hundred children in her orphanage. And they, they were teaching them the things of God, teaching them about Jesus. Yes, she learned the language and communicated and became a mother to so many of these kids. But when the Japanese came in, they had to flee for their lives because the communist Japanese were targeting specifically Christians. And so they, through the middle of the night, they got up and they started their trek through the mountains. These two women and hundreds of little orphans. And they became sick, got wounded, was hurting, and just doubt fled over, flooded, flooded their hearts, especially Gladys. And she was about to be overcome. And one of these 13 little old girl came up to her and she said, remember how Moses led the children of Israel to the wilderness? She said, yes, sweetheart, but I'm no Moses. She said, no, but God is still God. 
See, it just depends on whose perspective you're looking at it from, right? Isn't that powerful? I think it's such a powerful story of who you're following, a Moses or a God. The God of creation walks with us. It is promise to walk with us. His desire to be our companion, our friend, close, near. And the whole world may walk out on us, but God promises he's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us. Verse 14, he said, I'll give you rest. So this, this word rest is interesting too because it's rest in the middle of, this is not like a, a, a long weekend or a spring break or a holiday or a, a day off of your regular job. This kind of rest is in the, in the grind and the grit of everyday life. You're going to be refreshed. I will give you rest when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I will be with you and you will be rested even though you struggle. I love it. Rest becomes a testimony of trust. Listen, when you trust in his presence, what is there to fear? Do you have rest in your life? It seems like we really struggle with rest. We really struggle with busyness and hurry. We've never taken more vacations, more time off, more big boy toys that we can enjoy and just unwind and detox and get away and run away and just be ourselves. And yet we, we stay less rested. Why? Because we're trusting other things for rest than Jesus Christ. That's why. When you trust anything other than the rest of God, you're not going to be rested because there is no other mechanism to refresh us than our creator. And they're going to need it. They got a grueling 40 years ahead. Verse 15, and he said, if your presence will not go up, do not bring us up from here. For how will it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? I need some confidence, but I also need those people to know and have confidence in me. Is it not you're going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people? from every other people on the face of the earth. You see, when you are right with God, there's going to be a desire to be like him, to represent him. Lord, we desire to be distinguishable from every other nation. And if your presence is not with us, what will distinguish us from every other nation on the face of the earth? You know, I'm this, this is an entire sermon right here, so I'm going to pass up this, this uh, pretty quickly. But I want you just to think about what Moses is saying here. Lord, we don't want to look like everybody else. Your presence is the differentiation between us and paganism. Your presence. Lord, we should look different. We should be different. We should think differently. We should love differently. We should serve differently. We should evangelize differently. Everything about your people, Lord, ought to conduct or be a conduit of your character, your nature, your person. We are a reflection of you. We are your testimony to these nations. I just feel like if we were conscious, conscious of God's presence in our lives, 
Can you imagine how much differently we would think? Decisions that we make? I think it's funny. It's less than it used to be, but it's funny to me how people's vocabulary changes when I'm around. Sometimes. It used to be a lot more. It's funny how how people's responses are different when their pastor is around. I think if maybe should even bring us up, but I think a lot of people's dating lives would be different if mom went on dates with their children. Would that be different? <laughs> or if your children went with you on business trips, you probably would watch different things in the hotels. I just wonder how much different our lives would be if we were conscious that there's never a moment when God's presence is not with us. Can you imagine living in such a way that you're constantly thinking about God going with us? What should I say? What should I think? How should I feel? How could I encourage? How could I build up? You see, he calls us to be unusual people, peculiar even. He calls us to be different, to be known as God's people. Verse 17, be known. Can you imagine? This very thing you've asked, you found favor in my side, and I know your name. Boy, isn't that intimate? To be known by God. You are known by God. He does know your name. You see what happens. I'm going to shift now and bring, bring us to a close. But we do love the idea of smoke being in the sky, writing words so that we can read, or maybe opening the Bible and, boop, oh, there's the answer. Yes. It's not much different than shaking an eight ball, but... You know, whatever. We're looking for these signs that, you know, somebody said this, or I saw a, this kind of a bird, or this kind of tree, or this was always a thing, and we're trying to. But you know what? God does provide signs for us. But only the spiritual can see them. Only the spiritual wants to see them. In fact, the New Testament says that the things that are made clear by God is foolishness to the world, but God is always showing us signs. In fact, we already read it that the heavens declare the glory of God, right? I mean, he's shouting at us, always revealing his glory to us. But we don't have eyes or ears to hear it. Verse 18, Moses said, please let me see your glory. What is the glory of God? I'm going to take us on a little trip here real quick. I don't even know if Moses fully understands what he is asking but to know God's glory, you must first know God's holiness. Now, we want God's glory because it's magnificent. But often, we don't want to see it filtered by God's holiness. 
The holiness of God is his being in a class all by himself. God's infinite worth, his infinite perfection, his infinite greatness. There is, God is not a better version of us. He's not someone who figured it out. He's not just loftier. He is otherwise. He is not like us. We might be made in his image, but he is not in ours. That's his holiness. He is perfect. He is without blemish. Everything about him is perfect and exhaustive, infinite. His holiness is what he is that no one else is. A quality of perfection that cannot be improved upon. God is not getting better with time. He can't be imitated. He's incomparable. And Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3 says that one angel is crying to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That's one holy for each member of the Trinity. Holy, holy, holy. The next thing it says is this the whole earth is full of his. You would expect him to say holiness. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. glory. God is intrinsically holy and the whole earth is full of his glory. And God's glory, listen, so here's the answer. God's glory is the public revelation of his holiness. So God is holy. And when he reveals that holiness, we see his glory. The Spirit reveals the holiness of Jesus by glorifying Jesus. The Son reveals the holiness of the Father and brings glory to Him. So the glory of God is the holiness of God made manifest to us. You cannot see God's glory without seeing God's holiness. We treat God like He's just, we're going to just chum up like a buddy. Or treat him like he's some genie or somebody to be manipulated. You want to see the glory of God? You better first fall on your face before him and see his holiness, his otherwiseness, his uniqueness, his perfection, his worth, limitless worth. In Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3, I will be sanctified, God said. That Hebrew word is kaldash. It means to be separated out or to be holy. He said, I will be holy. And before all the people, I will be glorified. I am holy. And I will be glorified. Glorified isn't lifting your hands up before God in a song. Holy isn't attending church when you feel like it on a Sunday morning. Holy isn't opening up, or glorifying God isn't opening up the Bible and reading through some chapter a day. Glory, glorifying God is when you recognize his holiness going with us, offering himself to us. Yes, the heavens declare the glory of God. What does it mean? It means he is shouting to us at all times that he is worthy to be praised. If you had spiritual eyes to see, you could see it right now. Because he's always at work revealing himself to us. 
He's consistent. He's faithful. When you're satisfied with him as your guide, you'll see him everywhere you go. We need eyes that can see it. We need eyes more than we need anything. When Paul was revealing the problem of the unsaved, he used this in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The God of this world has blinded the mind so that the unsaved cannot see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live in a day-to-day where Christians are blinded and won't see the glory of the gospel in Jesus Christ. What is the difference between the way we live and the way the world lives? Do you see it? Do you love it? Are you embracing it? You surrendered to it? Are you guided by it? Like every moment of your life, are you willing to say, Lord, I want to see your glory? Do you want to see my glory? You've got to see my holiness. Lord, I know you are holy. And I want more. I want more of your holiness manifested. I want all of it. Keep no part of yourself from me. Well, wouldn't you say that as a Christian? Lord, keep no part of yourself from me. Oh, but you couldn't handle it. You couldn't handle it. Verse 19, the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. So here God equates his glory with his goodness. Not what he does, not like we do, being full of good works or doing good deeds or whatever. Not, no, no, God's, God's saying my goodness is who I am, not what I do. Everything that I do flows out of who I am. So I'm going to pass all my goodness in front of you. God is holistically good. Everything that he does is good. I'm not going to parade everything in front of you, Moses. It'll just be me. You want to see my glory? You want to see my goodness? I'm going to pass it right in front of you. It would be enough. His presence, his person. Moses had experienced the goodness of God time and time again but he had missed it because he was focused on the wrong thing, but now he's able to say, I want more. Verse 19, and the Lord said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will compassion on whom I will have compassion. Grace of God, as we well know, is God's unmerited favor. The only qualification for grace is that you have to need it. It's undeserved. God's heart is one of love and compassion. What does this passage mean? I, I mean, it almost sounds like a little bit like a rebuke. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. But what Moses, what God is telling Moses here is, I will determine who gets grace and mercy. Just know, Moses, I'm not doing it because of who you are. There's no formula for the people to respond to. There's no this way or that way. It's grace and mercy flows from me. Because if it, if it depended upon you, you'd begin to follow the formula and you'd forget about the relationship.
So God's given us all sorts of signs, his glory, his goodness, and his grace. His glory, his goodness, and his grace. It's in closing. I think it's interesting as God says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to show you. But I want to put you in a place by me, and I'll put you up here on a rock. I'm going to put the hand over the cleft of the rock, and after I pass, you can see my, my back parts, the backside of me. Nobody can look at my face and live. You ever think about why God would reveal only the back side of himself? Why he would come and take on the form of something that Moses could understand just to reveal something that Moses was asking for? It's because this is the part of God that we respond to the best, right? When you live by God, you don't see God's face. You see the evidence of where God has been. I think that's the lesson that God is trying to give Moses here. It's like, Moses, you can't see me coming. You can only see that I've been there. And if you think about all the times in your life when you've needed God's presence, when you've needed a sense of his glory, of his goodness, and his grace, it's only when you look backwards where you can see where he's been, but he's always in front leading his people. And that's how we know that God is faithful. That's how we can know we can respond to his goodness and to his grace and his glory. There's a lot to unpack here. This morning, I want to encourage you that no matter how much you've seen of God, there is more. And he offers himself in a relationship, not because you are good, but because he is. And he doesn't just offer you his things. He offers you himself. But you've got to apply through his holiness. And you have to be a separated people. Not because you're worthy, because he is. You have to be a unique people. You have to think differently, love differently. And you can only do that through the transformation that comes from the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you want more? I mean, if you talked with God as a friend talks to a friend, would you say, God, reveal to me your glory? Or would we say, oh, Lord, enough, enough. I can't handle anymore. You're all, all your lists and all your burdens and all your laws. I just want to be free. But where the sun is, there is freedom. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we just uh, humble ourselves before you. It's good for us to be reminded from time to time that you are not like us. And we are not like you. And so, Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he has come and he has died our death so that we might live his life. I thank you for the hope that we have as we walk with him, as we surrender our lives to him. 
that we walk in obedience, not just with guidance. but you've offered to be our guide to take our hand and to lead us through a maze of life. Lord, there may be those here today that have never trusted you. They're they're looking at life and maybe even your word as guidance, trying to live moral, trying to live better than they did yesterday. Lord, today I pray that we would repent of that and that we would continue to learn what it looks like to walk with you, to live in rest, to live in peace, to be given more and more of a relationship with you and that we too might find favor in your sight. As a friend talks to a friend, our relationship can grow and flourish. And then everywhere we look, everywhere we look, we see your glory. We see your uniqueness. We see how to bring you into a conversation, how to bring you into a room, how to use you, Lord, to resolve conflict in our life, how to find strength to overcome, power to forgive, the ability to heal. we'd be able to understand your goodness flows from you. Not just in what you do, you declare good, but you are good, only good. And Lord, I thank you that your grace does not depend upon me and that your mercy does not depend upon us. Lord, thank you for reminding us of who you are today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me, please? It's really easy to hide in a crowd and to use words like we and our, especially in a church. We say the church this and the church that. But this morning, as important as that is, of belonging is, I want you to just to simply isolate your, your own thoughts and think through your relationship to God. Not believing in His guidance, but walking in a relationship with Him. Examining your obedience in light of his holiness, not your yesterday. The question isn't, are you better today than you were yesterday? The question is, are you growing to be more and more like his son who gave himself for you so that you could walk in his righteousness? If today you want to come and you want to give your life to Jesus, You want to surrender yourself to him and you want to begin a new relationship with him. I ask today, if you would please come, I would love to pray with you or have somebody come and we'll pray together. I'd love for you to make that decision today. If you've never accepted Jesus, but you also may be here today and you have accepted Jesus, accepted his guidance, but you're not walking in a relationship with him.
you're around these things and you've been worse, but you're not growing in intimacy with him. You're not asking for more of his glory to be revealed to you so that we may reflect it. You know, I think about the very next chapter, chapter 34, when Moses comes off the mountain, he seems to be unaware that his face is glowing. And the people are like, whoa, we can't even see you. And so he has to take a veil and he puts it over his face when he talks to people because it was obvious to them he was reflecting the glory of God. And I just wonder, I mean, yeah, understanding God's doing a new thing there. But for us, I just wonder as we are experiencing the people of God, the creation of God, I just wonder if people can tell that we've been in his presence. Are we reflecting? What are we reflecting to people of what or who we've been with? Lord, for your glory we live. And where that is not true, I pray that you would reveal that to us right now. In Jesus' name I pray. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.